You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is May 10th, 2019. We have a lot to talk about, and I'm a little bit PO'd that Comey's indictment has not been announced. He's already been indicted, guys, in another state. It's been transferred to the Eastern District of Virginia, and for some reason, it's not being announced and I am on edge. I am so upset, but I have to trust. I really have to trust that there is a plan because everything that you're going to see unravel the collusion, the collusion against the people of the United States, the fact that they would like to take away our freedom because this is the point. We are people. We are not a number. We do not need debriefing. We will not be recognized as just a number. We are free people. And this war against the people is not just here domestically, because remember, we are the beacon of hope. And yesterday on the town hall that we saw at his girlfriend, Anderson Cooper, where Comey sat with supposed students, students, who put their faces on television that has been etched in our mind. And we know that when we hire, we cannot hire someone that cannot discern fact from fiction. Do they really think they're going to get away with this? They really believe down to their core that they will get away with everything they've done. But they won't. Because it's coming down to it. Now, there's a lot that we should talk about. I want to analyze what James Comey said, what he has said in the past, as well as what will be coming forward. These are all things we should discuss. Now, before we get into it, something that I just want to touch bases is that, well, you know, actually, we could talk about it later when we talk about Biden in the second hour, because this kind of t- ties into the whole Don Jr. subpoena thing. We'll talk about that later. OK, so we've got Biden to talk about. We've got China, Iran to talk about James Comey and the corrupt, the most corrupt government regime that has ever passed, which is the Obama regime. And I call it a regime because that's exactly what it is. China. So awesome. And like I said, next hour, we'll talk about it. The president found a solution that is incredible. But keep in mind the abuse of power, the abuse of the people of the United States, pure evil to those that are most vulnerable as well. What they have been doing to us as a nation for over a hundred years is criminal. And like David Horowitz said, the left is a cult. It is a cult. We must understand how much has happened here. This is war and we do not realize it because it's war on our person, war on ourselves, war 
on our children and their children. That's what's really going on. No matter how many books they write, because they write the books so that they can make history, because history will not look at them well. But you know, on the other hand, if it's written and if it's out there, then it has to be true, right? And this is what they're pushing. I was so distraught, so upset to see Comey come in with this, uh, I would say, glorious kind of perception of himself and how they announced him with this music. Take a listen to Comey talking about memos and the Steele dossier. I want us to go back to April 28th of uh, April. Yeah. April 26th of 2018. Here's a three minute clip. Just take a listen to what he says about the Steele dossier in his interview with Fox. James Comey in an interview here on Special Report. Let's bring in our panel. Catherine Herridge, Fox News Chief Intelligence Correspondent. Molly Hemingway, Senior Editor at The Federalist. Mara Eliason, National Political Correspondent of National Public Radio. And Joe DeGeneva, former U.S. Attorney. Catherine, first to you. You've covered this for a long time. What stuck out with you? Well, the amazing exchange to me is when you had Director Comey confirm that he shared those memos documenting conversations with the president with three other people. So the Columbia professor, that's what he testified to. Also, his what he described as his personal attorney, Patrick Fitzgerald, and then this other attorney. What's key here is that he told you, Brett, that those memos were returned to the FBI after they found classified information. He can call it whatever he wants. That is a classified spill of information. Okay, the reason I'm playing this is because this is what he was indicted for. He said it himself. None of those persons, none of them, and this is from 2018, none of them had the clearance to look at any of these. And he even, I'll play a clip where he even says, well, I gave it to someone to give to someone and I did it because, you know, for my own reasons. Your own reasons is you leaked it. It's against the law. You committed a crime and you're supposed to be the FBI director at the time. That is a problem. Doesn't matter whether they have clearances. They didn't have the ability to secure that information. Joe, um, I was amazed. I thought. And the reason she said it doesn't matter if they have clearances, because he could say that he gave them a clearance because he was um, they were his attorney. He can make up anything he wants. The bottom line is they don't have the software. You know, when you work for the government, there are certain programs and um, uh, software installations that occur in your phone, on your desktop. They have them even in hospitals where they encrypt the data and keep it separate. He gave those memos to them and they had no way of keeping them classified or secure so that he can say whatever he wants. Oh, I granted them like temporary this because I'm the FBI director and I can do that. But they didn't have the tools to do it. So I thought it was breathtaking duplicity. America's dirty cop continues to amaze me with the destruction of the institution that he used to lead. And what, what Catherine has just said is stunning. It's not his decision. He's supposed to know what's classified. He has the authority to classify under the law, and yet he maintains that he did not give away classified information. He leaked classified information to the New York Times. That's a crime. Mark. 
I think that the difficulty that Comey is having is that he's now in a completely different role, and he can't be in two roles at the same time, the completely impartial lawman who believes in serving the presidency and the institutions, and now a partisan actor. And that's, I think, where there's a lot of conflict. Molly. I thought his most interesting answer was when you asked him if he would still be at the FBI if he hadn't been fired. And he said he would be, and it was because he believed his job was to protect the FBI. I think that's a very telling statement that suggests that there's something other than justice that was his high concern. And when you were asking him about why he didn't reveal information to the president about who funded the dossier, mm -hmm. he seemed to be shockingly uninformed about who funded the dossier. He did not... He, in fact... It, it I want to play the soundbite. I want to play the soundbite because I I was prepared to go down a different road, and then he said he didn't know. Before they play that soundbite, I just wanted to. There's only like a minute left to this, but I wanted to point that 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 remark out. His job is to protect the FBI. Protect the FBI? How? Why? What is the FBI doing? You know what they're doing? They know best because they didn't debrief our president on a supposed threat of Russia. Because if they cared about national security, they would have told him. They do not know best. Because when we have our government entities, our law enforcement, the highest law enforcement in the land, working against the president, the one that we elected, what they were doing is telling us, we know best. Be quiet. We're doing our job. That's why we were hired. Sorry, dude. Comey, I didn't elect you. I didn't drop a vote for you. I didn't pick you. I didn't hire Strzok. I didn't do any of that. You guys were appointed by other people. You're appointed. You're not elected. You are the unelected fourth branch of our government that seems to know best. We know best. Shut up. You elected this man, but we know best. He doesn't deserve to be president. Listen to us. Listen to this clip that they're going to play. When did you learn that the DNC and Hillary Clinton campaign had funded Christopher Steele's work? Yeah, I still don't know that for a fact. I knew it was funded first by Republicans. opposed that's to Donald. true. I'm sorry? That's not true. That the dossier that Christopher Steele worked on was funded by Republicans? Okay, my understanding was the activity was begun, that, that Steele was hired to look into, was first funded by Republicans, then picked up, the important thing was, picked up by Democrats opposed to Donald Trump. Kathy? Well, one of the basics of journalism and any investigation is understanding the credibility of the source. And the fact that he didn't have his arms around what the source was from the dossier was really kind of con confusing to me. And then, just as a final point, when you asked him about that being the basis for the FISA, for the, for the FISA he says that it was just a small piece. And this well, that's is not what conflict. we're learning. That's in direct conflict with what Republicans have said. So, indeed, it is in conflict in what is being said and what has come out now. That's from 2018. Now, I would like us to take a listen to um, what James Comey testified. There's a clip called James Comey's Testimony in Seven Minutes. It's a bias clip, of course, because it's by CNN. And I want us to go through each point of his three hours that they clipped out. And we're going to break it down because you're going to see just how criminal this is and then comparing it and contrasting it with what he said yesterday will blow your mind. But let me just stop right there. 
dossier. So the dossier was the full foundation of this FISA warrant. Do you know that in the dossier, Steele said that the Russians were paying Americans to sway the elections for Donald Trump and paying them out of the Russian consulate in Miami, Florida. By the way, there is no Russian consulate in Miami, Florida. I am surprised that the FBI director doesn't know that, that the DNI uh, director, Clapper, Brennan, you name it, all of these clowns struck, the rest of them, some of them, having had jobs as foreign service officers, do not know that there is no Russian consulate in Miami. Neither does the FISA judge either. Pretty strange, isn't it? How is it that they were paid out of a make-believe? Like that on its own is pure fiction. And no one thought to say, well, hold on a second. There's no Russian embassy or consulate in Miami, Florida. Yeah, that's just a detail. What? What? You are claiming that they've been paying people to sway the elections for Donald Trump. You are claiming this is how they're getting them paid. And there is no this. There's no such place. I cannot wrap my mind around how this is being allowed. Everybody should be out there saying, how did the FISA warrant, you know, how did the FISA court judge not know there's no Russian consulate in Miami, Florida? How did they push a dossier filled with so much fiction and no one questioned it? Instead, they used it to get the warrant. And him saying, oh, I didn't know where it was funded. Dude, did you not see that there was complete and utter rubbish in it? It made no sense. Uh, These prostitutes, pee-peeing, whatever. Come on, man. Take a listen. Let's go through this quickly. They're saying it's the testimony of Comey under seven minutes. I have any doubt that Russia attempted to interfere in the 2016 elections? None. There should be no fuzz on this whatsoever. The Russians interfered in our election during the 2016 cycle. They did it with purpose. They did it with sophistication. They did it with overwhelming technical efforts and It was an active measures campaign driven from the top of that government. There is no fuzz on that. It's not about Republicans or Democrats. They're coming after America, which I hope we all love equally. They want to undermine our credibility. Wait a minute. So they're coming after America and we should love it equally. Then why didn't you debrief President Trump? We elected him as president. Why did you not debrief him? If it was such a concern that they're coming after America... Not just the president, not just Clinton, not just the Democrats or the Republicans, but the United States of America. Why did you not provide a defensive briefing? In the face of the world, they think that this great experiment of ours is a threat to them. And so they're going to try to run it down and dirty it up as much as possible. That's what this is about. And they will be back because we remain as, as difficult as we can be with each other, we remain that shining city on the hill, and they don't like it. After that briefing, you felt compelled to document that conversation, that you actually started documenting it as soon as you got into the car. I was honestly concerned that he might lie about the nature of our meeting, and so I thought it really important to document. This was. Okay, so now the second point that CBS finds is that former disgraced, disgusting, lying clown Comey said, oh, he might lie about our meeting, so I needed to take notes. 
here's the rule of thumb. You only see in others what you see in yourself. How dare the highest law enforcement officer of the United States, first of all, not provide a defense and briefing, briefing, not advise the president that his campaign, his son, his children, his business, everybody and their mother that was linked to the campaign is under investigation. And then you dare and keep notes that you wish to write as you wish. And, uh, you know, they mean nothing because you also push falsified 302s and pushed a dossier that had utter nonsense in it. That made no sense that it was pure fiction. So your notes mean absolutely nothing. They mean nothing. It's like committing a murder and not having an alibi. Your notes are not your alibi because you're a liar. And you push fiction. So, but he continues on this matter. Was the only president that you felt like in every meeting you needed to document because at some point, using your words, he might put out a non-truthful representation of that meeting. Now, that's, that's our, right, Senator. And I, I, as I said in my written testimony, as FBI director, I interacted with President Obama and I spoke only twice in three years uh, and didn't document. Oh my gosh, that is a huge lie. So first of all, the question posed is, you just kept notes all the time with this president uh, because you, you felt that he would lie about your meetings. What? No, no, no. And I only met with Obama three times. Well, that's a lie. That is a huge lie because we know you met when you were um, recommended. I can tell you more than three instances publicly that we know he's met with Obama. So he met um, Obama when Mueller passed the torch on to him and nominated him to be replacement as FBI director. Uh, so that was the first time. The second time was where they sat down and discussed, you know, the handover and what's going on. Then again, um, what was it uh, in 2014 where we had that issue? Oh, gosh, I'm trying to remember the case. Anyway, he was at the White House for that. There was a case in 2014. Uh, and um, then again, uh, many times in 2015, uh, he sat down for a debriefing with um, Loretta Lynch and all of the, like all of this stuff is documented. Like he clearly lied and said, I only met with him three times. There was no point in me taking notes. You met with him a lot of times because the last time you met with him was right before President Trump swore in and you and the rest of your cronies got together and tried to convince the chief of our Supreme Court justice, Chief Justice Roberts, to disallow him from swearing in based on your disgusting dossier and your narrative that he's a Russian agent, which during the time of the transition period that you should have debriefed the president that, Hey, maybe you want to take a look at your campaign and your cabinet people because we're investigating them because Russia is a threat and we know that they're getting with them. They didn't even tell him that they didn't want to tell him that because they didn't want him to swear in. And that meeting Comey is going to be coming out. So he's a liar, liar, liar. When I was Deputy Attorney General, I had one one-on-one -on -one meeting with President Bush about a very important and difficult national security matter. I didn't write a memo documenting that conversation either. Senator 
Liar, liar. Do you remember when he was deputy attorney general and then he became acting attorney general because Ashcroft was on his deathbed? And then he and Mueller got together and ran to Ashcroft's bed, bedside to demand that he allow them to do what they wanted to do in regards to spying, defying the White House, and then having a lengthy meeting with George Bush? What a liar. Because he was acting attorney general and he met with him at the White House where two of uh, the White House officials, specifically chief of staff of President Bush, was then let go. It was a whole debacle. There's another lie. Why is no one pointing out all these lies? Lies, lies, lies. I only met once with Bush. Liar. Liar, liar, liar. Maybe that one is you who's deputy attorney general with a pressing matter did talk to him. But what about the whole Ashcroft thing? The fact that the guy was in a bed in the hospital and you ran there to cock block the White House from going there and having the AG at the time do what he was supposed to do because you and Mueller didn't like it. You didn't want people to know that you were spying on everyone. (laughs) So he's lying again. That's just one example where he met with Bush separately and not as DAG, but acting AG. And a quick email to my staff to let them know there was something going on. But I didn't feel with President Bush the need to document it in that way. Well, my impression, and again, it's my impression. I could always be wrong. But my common sense told me that what was going on is either he had concluded or someone had told him that you didn't, you've already asked Comey to stay and you didn't get anything for it. And that the dinner was an effort to build a relationship. In fact, he asked specifically of loyalty. You've seen the picture of me walking across. So he's saying, I'm assuming, so he's assuming that someone said you're keeping him on, but you're not getting anything for it. What do you mean getting anything for it? You mean, is that the way other presidents work? Is that what they ask? What do I get out of it? Because the president, when he had a meeting with you, loyalty is not to him. Loyalty is to the people. He made that clear to you. He wants you loyal to the cause of the people of the United States. But instead... You tried to talk it differently. He gave you a chance. He sat down with you and said, listen, whatever you've done is done. I'm more than happy to work with you, but you got to work with me and you got to be loyal to the people, man. Forget this swampy business. You need to be bonafide. You need to be honest. And he didn't like that. You know why he didn't like that? Because he's like, who does this president think he is? He's nobody. He is not a politician. He doesn't know what's best for America. I do. That's what Comey did. He wanted to run the United States of America. That's what Clapper wanted. That's what Brennan wanted. That's what the deep state wanted. They wanted to run the United States, and they didn't like how the president wanted to do it, which is honestly, fairly, and to avoid religious warfare, which we'll get into in the last half hour of the second half of the show. Across the blue room. And uh, what the president whispered in my ear was, I really look forward to working with you. So after those encounters... And that was just a few days before you were fired. Yeah, that was on the, 20, the Sunday after the inauguration. The next Friday, I have dinner, and the president begins by wanting to talk about my job. And so I'm sitting there thinking, wait a minute, three times we've already, you've already asked me to stay. And here's the thing about the president. I talked about it the day before yesterday. 
He is a master of figuring people out. Like I said, for me, he took me back a bit because I was uncomfortable in the outfit I was wearing. And I didn't, I don't know, maybe I was tugging on my belt. You know, it was a stiff uniform that the UN just handed me. I I didn't like it. It looked really weird. But, you know... Face is face, right? And I was just having coffee. I, I I think I look good. My makeup was on point. I looked on point. I actually looked pretty hot in a uniform. But he could tell that I was self-conscious because it was it was just weird for me the way it was. Because it wasn't my it weren't my clothes. Someone picked out the sizes and just gave it to me. Uh, and he knew. And this is the whole thing about these meetings. He was probing him to figure out what his ulterior motive is. Probably from the first meeting, he realized that Comey knows best and that he's looking down on the president and he didn't like that. I wouldn't like that either. If I'm your supervisor and you have an attitude as if you know best and you're mocking me, you can't mock a smart man or woman We'll, we'll smell it 20 miles away. You think you're sneaky, but you know, when you're in the real estate business, especially in New York and you're in construction and you interact with people from all socioeconomic backgrounds because you're not better than everyone else, just the way Comey is. And that's how he feels and how he acts. Um, you get to read people really quick. Let's finish up what he says on this. You talked about me staying. My common sense, again, I could be wrong, but my common sense told me what's going on here is that he's looking to get something in exchange for granting my request to stay in the job. How unusual is it to have um, a, a one-on-one dinner with the president? Did that strike you as odd? Yeah, so much so that I assumed there would be others that he couldn't possibly be having dinner with me alone. Why didn't you stop and say, Mr. President, this is wrong. I cannot discuss this with you. What? He can't discuss what? National security with him? Can't discuss what? Ongoing investigation? He's the president of the United States. This, 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 you know, put together piece from CBS is all we need to just see how corrupt he is and how corrupt our system has been working for decades upon decades. We'll continue this after the break. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 
That's 855-700-2978. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's one 800 961 Promo code Red State. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit mypillow.com. Welcome back to the Tory Says Show. So just to continue what we were doing with Comey is looking back on his testimony from June of 2017, this compilation put together by CBS. As you can see, all the Democrats are saying you should have told President Trump it's wrong that you are sitting down and having dinner with him. Why? Why? Because Comey, I, I just now during the break, you know, he says that he only met with the president three times. So what he's saying is, is that the FBI works independently and doesn't meet with the president. I mean, having open repertoire and having access to the president of the United States as FBI director is almost imperative so that everybody can work together and things can be discussed. Open dialogue is how you get things done. What you're saying is that, uh, you know, you shouldn't be meeting with the president. Tom Fitton tweeted out, remember, Comey's ambush of, of Trump with the Clinton DNC dossier garbage was orchestrated during an Oval Office meeting with Barack Obama, Biden, Clapper, Brennan, and Rice. He is referring to that meeting. I'm referring to the one that happened at the beginning of January where they actually had the chief Supreme Court Justice Roberts there hoping that they can nullify the elections and disallow him from swearing in. That was their last attempt. And I, and I responded to that tweet by saying, well, according to Comey testimony, he only met with Obama three times, and we publicly know of two meetings, post and pre-nomination for FBI director by Mueller, after, and this meeting... After, and this meeting, January 2017 meeting, June 26 meeting, etc., he lied. Anything Comey says is worth nothing. Now, obviously, my tweet is so discombobulated, because when I try to tweet quickly, I misspell and put half-thoughts and delete. 
But the bottom line is he's a liar. So anything he says means absolutely nothing. It's a great question. Maybe if I were stronger, I would have. I was so stunned by the conversation that I just took it in. And the only thing I could think to say, because I was playing in my mind, because I was remember every word he said, I was playing in my mind, what should my response be? And that's why I very carefully chose the words. And look, I, I've seen the tweet about tapes. Lordy, I hope there are tapes. I, I remember saying, I agree he's a good guy, as a way of saying I'm not agreeing with what you just asked me to do. Did you show copies of your memos to anyone outside of the Department of Justice? Yes. The president tweeted on Friday after I got fired that I better hope there's not tapes. I woke up in the middle of the night on Monday night, because it didn't dawn on me originally, that there might be corroboration for our conversation. There might be a tape. And my judgment was I needed to get that out into the public square. And so I asked a friend of mine to share the content of the memo with a reporter. Didn't do it myself for a variety of reasons, but I asked him to because I thought that might prompt the appointment of a special counsel. No, I'll tell you why he did that. Do you know why? Because there are tapes. Remember, they have been bugging the president's office everywhere. We could thank Pence for that, too, right? So there were bugs everywhere, and the concern that he had was, well, he's not going to be able to release it because we're going to place Mueller in. It is confidential information that was being discussed, so the president will not be allowed to release it. But now I'm fired, so I'm going to release these classified memos to the press and I'm going to tell a friend to do it. So it's indirect. So it's like, well, I trusted my friend to give a summary and then he gave me back. Are you listening to the crimes he's stating? And the only reason he did it was to get ahead of it. But from what I hear during the grand jury, there were tapes. So, you know, what he did was because he knew the president would not be allowed to release those tapes because it would be a national security issue. People would know that they're being recorded, and that could be a really big issue for foreign leaders, for everyone. But also, it would expose that they were bugging our president's Oval Office, the Blue Rooms, everything, maybe even his toilet. So this is key. We must be paying attention to what he's not saying, but he's really saying. I'm not being facetious. I hope there are, and I'll consent to the release of... So both of you both of you are in the same findings here. You both hope there's tapes and recordings. Well, I'm the, I, all I can do is hope. Uh, the, the president surely knows whether he taped me, and if he did, uh, my feelings aren't hurt. Release the entire... Release all the tapes. I'm gotcha. good with it. Gotcha. I don't think it's for me to say whether the conversation I had with the president was an effort to obstruct. I took it as a very disturbing thing, very concerning... But when you get a when a president in the United States in the Oval Office says something like "I hope" or "I suggest" or or "Would you," do you take that as a as a as a directive? Yes, yes, it rings in my ear as kind of "Will no one rid me of this meddlesome priest?" It, I was just going to quote that in 1170, December 29, Henry II said, "Who will rid me of this meddlesome priest?" And then the next day, he was killed. Was your decision influenced by the Attorney General's tarmac meeting? with the former president, Bill Clinton? Yes, in, in a ultimately uh, conclusive way. That was the thing that capped it for me, that I had to do something separately. And then you made a comment earlier about um, the attorney general, uh, previous attorney general, 
uh, asking you about the uh, investigation on the Clinton emails, saying that you've been asked not to call it an investigation anymore, but to call it a matter. And you had said that confused you. Can you give us additional details on that? Well, it concerned me because we were at the point where we had refused to confirm the existence, as we typically do, of an investigation for months. And it was getting to a place where that looked silly because the campaigns were talking about interacting with the FBI in the course of our work. The, the Clinton campaign at the time was using all kinds of euphemisms, security review, matters, things like that, for what was going on. We were getting to a place where the Attorney General and I were both going to have to testify and talk publicly about it. And I want to know, was she going to authorize us to confirm we had an investigation? Wait a minute. Hold on a second. Did you hear that? Pay attention. Yeah, so it was going to come a time that we were going to testify about this. So we had to sit down and discuss, like, what are you saying? What am I saying? And are you going to allow us to say that there's an investigation? Can we tell the people that there's a mid-year investigation? Like, what are we allowed to say? So he was asking the AG so they could get their story straight. And she said, yes, but don't call it that. Call it a matter. And I said, why would I do that? And she said, just call it a matter. Mr. Comey, do you believe you would have been fired if Hillary Clinton had become president? That's a great question. I don't know. Look, I've said before uh, that was an extraordinarily difficult and painful time. I think I did what I had to do. I knew it was going to be very bad for me personally, and the consequence of that might have been. If Hillary Clinton was elected, I might have been terminated. I don't know. I really don't. Uh, Do you believe Donald Trump colluded with Russia? So he doesn't know if Hillary Clinton would have fired him. No, I don't know. I don't know if she would have fired me. What a dumb question to ask. What do they want to say? Well, Hillary would have fired him, so it's okay that Donald Trump fired him? Doesn't make sense. Russia. That's a question I don't think I should answer um, in an open setting. As I Do you believe that the president of the United States colluded with Russia? I don't believe I should answer that question in an open setting. What does that infer? To the layman, it means, yeah, but I'm not going to state it publicly. How dare he? The Mueller report found that he didn't, there was no collusion and no obstruction. Collusion for sure, obstruction for sure. Yet Comey's out there saying, I'm not going to say it in an open setting. said that we didn't, when I left, we did not have an investigation focused on President Trump. But that's a question that'll be answered by the investigation, I think. So when he left, there was no investigation on President Trump. But, you know, that'll be answered at a later time through the investigator, he says. Are you guys seeing just how disgusting they are? How they... It drives me insane. Now, take a listen to this fluffy student i mean god honest and you know he's a chemist if i see him ever in front of me it'll be like please separate me how do you have people that think like this actually operate as adults or professionals hey, uh, we got a lot of questions from uh, from students faculty and staff so let's get right to it this is uh, zachary smith he's getting his master's in chemistry zachary what's your question Hi, Director Comey. Uh, Do you believe that President Trump possesses the moral and mental capacities needed to effectively lead our armed forces? 
Does he have the moral and mental capacity? So now Comey is a psychologist. Comey is now going to analyze if our president has the ability to lead our armed forces. Are you listening? This is the former FBI director. By the way, he looks like they gave him a suit that's pressed. He looks very tired and he looks very old. That's stress. So listen to that question. So they're asking him opinion questions because, you know, the FBI, the fourth branch of government, knows best. Given his uh, unprecedented uh, loyalty pledge, the general temperament, and the uh, documented outbursts. Well, thank you for that question. Really important question. Ten seconds just to thank the students of William & Mary for coming out and for looking so good tonight. Thank you. Thank you. You're trying to get them on your side right away. uh... (laughs) If they're not on my side, I'm I'm out of luck. Uh, That's a really important question. And I don't have concerns about President Trump's physical fitness, whether he has dementia. I've read stuff like that. I don't buy it. I've dealt with him. He seems to be a person of above-average intelligence. My concern is with his moral fitness. I don't believe he's morally fit to be president of the United States. And I don't, I never. So he's not morally fit, he says, to be president of the United States. Not morally fit. Did you hear that? That is insane. That is really insane. Because morality is in the perception of each person. People that believe that um, Antifa people, their moral compass is completely skewed. If you're white, you're automatically not human. If you're Christian and you don't like gay people, you're automatically not human. If you're um, a black person who supports the president, you're not human. If you're Latino supporting capitalism and America first, you are not human. Their moral compass is skewed, so we should take what they say. So obviously Comey's moral compass, which is I know best, I didn't tell the president of a national security threat. I was trying to set him up. I was taking notes because I wanted to trap him. I lied. I leaked information, even though I'm the highest law enforcement officer at the time in the United States. I broke the laws because I am above the law. So my moral compass is sound. So listen to me. Here's another question. Senior studying government, Evelyn. Hi, uh, my question was, do you think that there's any credence to the president's claims that you broke the law when you released your memos? I don't. Uh, I hope that won't surprise you. I don't. In fact, I think he's just making stuff up. Um, the memos what? are actually two pieces, and the details matter because the facts matter uh, and should matter even to the president. I sent one memo, unclassified then, still unclassified, and it's recounted in my book, to my friend Dan Richman and asked him to get the substance of it but not the memo. Did you hear that, guys? He said, no, you know, it's like this. I only took part of it. I sent it to my friend to send it to a friend. But we heard the testimony. We heard the testimony that he gave it to three people. And then he returned those memos to the FBI. We heard how they didn't have the, it it was recognized that there was classified information on it. He blatantly lied. He blatantly, we played this in the first half hour of this first hour, right? how he had given it to three people, right? That didn't even count the reporter leak. That if they had clearance, they didn't have the capacity to hold on to information like that. So he is such a liar. He just lied again. 
Next question is from uh, Carl, uh, excuse me. Um, next question is from Daniel Powers. Uh, we got a lot of questions uh, from students, obviously, about the decisions you made before the 2016 election. That's uh, going to come as no surprise for you. Daniel's a senior studying history and computer science. Daniel? Good evening. There's a very compelling case to be made that your announcements, especially the October 28th announcement, cost Hillary Clinton the election. At the same time, you never disclosed how Trump was involved in an FBI investigation into the Russians. Should you have disclosed that to the American public? No, for a couple reasons. First, President Trump, candidate Trump, was not the subject of an FBI investigation. And the decision we had to make during 2016 is what to say about the Russian interference and then what, if anything, to say, and we honestly didn't give it serious thought for reasons I can explain, about a brand-new counterintelligence investigation of a small group of Americans to try to figure out, is there any connection? Those small group of Americans were, uh, some of them were associates of the campaign. No? Correct. Correct. I don't think they've been identified publicly by the FBI or the government, so I can't use the names, but a small group that did not include uh, President Trump. Um, wasn't George Papadopoulos one of those people? I don't know whether the FBI has confirmed who the small group of people were, so I don't want to say sitting here, Anderson. Okay. Wait a minute. What? There was a counterintelligence investigation opened up in 2016. Uh, so obviously what the media was telling people that President Trump was under investigation was not true. Comey said that correctly. But why is he not saying how Carter Page and George Papadopoulos were those Americans related to his campaign that they opened up counterintelligence? I mean, we already know, and they actually forced George Papadopoulos to plead guilty and threw him in jail. Why can't he confirm that if we already know it? Questions. Why? Because he's already been indicted with the grand jury, and that's why he can't answer questions in regards to that. Um, but just go, if you can, just go into some more detail about that, because, I mean, it, we really we got a lot of questions on this, and I yeah. think, obviously, people on, on all sides of the political aisle question your motives, question your actions, question your, your thought process uh, on this. What was the, you, I know you said it was early days in a counter, uh, counterintelligence investigation, but um, you've also talked about wanting to protect that investigation. Um, was it more important to protect the early days of a counterintelligence investigation than it was to be transparent to the American people about something that might affect their vote? Wait, before you answer that, was it more important to protect this fake investigation than provide a defensive uh, briefing to the president who was elected by the people? In a way, yes. Let me, can I just explain that? It's important because the question is a very, very important and reasonable question. It appears to a lot of folks you treated the Hillary Clinton case different than the Russia case. And here it's important to realize the Hillary Clinton case began as a public referral from... Yeah, but the Hillary Clinton investigation was also over two years old, too. So hopefully people understand that, that it wasn't the beginning of an investigation. Just to be fair, when you open up a counterintelligence investigation that is opened up under cloak and dagger, that the investigation began over eight months ago and they finally got themselves a FISA warrant at the end tail of October. You can't really talk about it because then you ruin your insurance policy, right? From an inspector general to the FBI. The subject of the investigation was the candidate herself, and we still refused to confirm that it existed for three months. 
We started in July of 2015. We wouldn't confirm it even existed until October. And then we said nothing until it was done. Look at the counterintelligence investigation. They began in late July of 2016 with information sufficient to open an investigation that maybe there's some connection between this big thing that the Russians are doing and Americans. And so we opened on a small group of Americans to try and figure out, is there anything there? And so the reason I said there was no serious consideration given to talking about it, try to imagine what we might say in the summer of 2016. We just opened an investigation. We don't know there's anything to it. Doesn't involve candidate Trump policy, which is if. Okay, so I'm skipping forward to the next question. So just so you understand what he's saying, we opened up an investigation in 2016. This is right after Seth Rich was dead, supposedly, but they actually started it in March of 2016 because it was discussed during the new the 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 mid-year exam discussion where they lost memos talking you know Strzok was there her lawyer Cheryl Mill everyone so it actually started earlier and you know the investigation we were just kind of looking if it's there and he's right if they would have said well we're kind of looking into Americans that may be related to President Trump that's a big deal that could be looked at as election meddling and on top of that they wouldn't be able to get a FISA warrant if they did that so you don't go to the FISA court if it's public. You go to the FISA court if it's not public. So there's that. So they went to the FISA court and had just gotten their warrant at the end of October. So it's not like they could sit there and talk about it because it's secret, right? If the if it was powerful public interest, but it wasn't implicated in those counterintelligence cases. All right. I want to bring in uh, another student. This is uh, Emily Holtzman. She's a senior studying government. Emily? Mr. Comey, my question for you is... If you wanted the Bureau to remain independent, why did you factor the legitimacy of a Hillary Clinton victory into your decision into your decision to announce she was being investigated prior to the election? Isn't this a political consideration? Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, I hope you get a chance to read my book. I don't remember consciously thinking about politics and polls during that period of time. In fact, I worked very hard to push it out of my head. Do you know why he did that? Okay. Tory's going to tell you why he did that. The only reason he announced that they were opening up the investigation again to look into it was to cover his butt. Why? Because remember, they knew that President Trump was going to win in 2016. They knew he was going to take it home, even though they had put everything forward. And Comey knew that he is in a lot of trouble because he opened up a counterintelligence investigation on everyone close and with the president-elect of the United States. So he knew that he was going to be president-elect. He knew that he was going to win. So he had to ensure to make it look like, well, I didn't, I didn't start this counterintelligence investigation for politics. I mean, if that was the case, then I would have had Hillary Clinton, you know, I wouldn't have talked about Hillary Clinton in the hour or, and, and, and in addition, just so you know, they needed to give fuel to the idea that the election was stolen from her and she was innocent. She was great. And just people didn't give her credit for it. And that it was all Donald Trump's fault and Comey's fault that she lost. That was why he announced that they're looking again. And remember how silly they found what half a million emails and they went through them in 24 hours. Jeez. I'd love to see how many people they had lay eyes on those. Um, I want to introduce uh, Abhi uh, Chada. He's a sophomore studying finance and, and government. Welcome. Good evening, Director Comey. Hello. 
In your experience with the Trump administration, what did you feel was the attitude of the administration towards established government institutions such as the FBI? Did you feel that, did they feel that these institutions were antagonistic towards the goals of the administration? Or was there some level of willingness to cooperate in your experience? In my experience, and, and so it's both the five months I worked under President Trump and since, they view the institutions of justice with contempt as just another piece on the board. When that piece is doing something that the leadership doesn't like, it should be knocked over and dirtied up. And that is a terrible place for us to be as a country. The FBI is not politicized. That's nonsense. The FBI, though, is being politically attacked. And the reason that is so dangerous and so stupid, even if you're a Republican, we need those institutions. All of us need those institutions. And there's a reason that Lady Justice wears a blindfold. So she's not peeking out to see what President this or President that thinks about her. Yeah, okay. So that's a bunch of BS because then you wouldn't have had notes and you wouldn't have leaked information. Here's the next question before we wrap um, up for this hour. Thank you. In recent weeks, President Trump has nicknamed you Slippery Comey. What is your nickname for him? <laughs> By the way, he's also called you Shady, a showboat, a grandstander, a liar, and a leaker. Yep, and ah. he's all right. And you're forgetting two formulations of slime ball. Right? First with no space and then with a space. Uh, I, uh, I don't, and I don't even follow him on Twitter. People just tell me these things. Uh, I don't have a nickname for him. Honestly, I call him the President of the United States because I respect the office. And, and I... Yeah, okay. No, you don't. Because if you respected the office, then you wouldn't have done what you've done. Great answer, though. I mean, you have to look really good and that you were impartial and great speech on Lady Justice, but you politicized the FBI because, again, you guys knew better who's supposed to be president. Your actions are louder than your words. Director James Comey at William & Mary, where he attended college and is going to be teaching uh, in, in the fall. Uh, I want you to meet uh, Jenna Carroll. She's a senior studying government and finance. Jenna? Hi, Director. Whoop. Let's see if we can turn on Jenna's mic. Hi, Director Comey. There we go. He's um, not a director. Could, my question is, can you give a clear example of what would constitute collusion between a presidential candidate and a foreign government, and specifically what law would that violate? Yeah, that's a good question. I can't give a specific example because collusion is actually not a thing that exists under uh, the federal laws of the United States. I had never heard the term until uh, it appeared in the media. The question that we would look at as a counterintelligence agency is, are any Americans conspiring, which is a, a crime defined by the U.S. Code, with a foreign government to commit any offenses against the United States or to defraud the United States? Or is any American aiding and abetting, that is, assisting their activities with knowledge of their unlawful nature? That's the legal question, as I understand it. And, and I, as I sit here, I can't give you an example. It would be irresponsible to give you an example that's too close to the current case. Okay. So after this break, I'll give you an example. Because we've got an example, don't we, of what would be conspiring with a foreign government, defrauding the United States, and personal gain. All we have to look is towards Biden and his son. So after this break, we'll talk about that too. So I'll see you all in a bit. Stay tuned.
Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So I wanted to play just two more minutes of Comey before we get into Biden, before we get into China and all that stuff. Take a listen to this question and how he answers it. Former Director Comey, with your expertise being in the FBI and with a given climate between the United States and Russia, do you believe that we are currently in or maybe on the brink of a second Cold War? That's a great question. And I don't know whether I'd characterize it that way. We are certainly in... Uh, on many levels, conflict with Russia. What they did during the 2016 election was an attack by an adversary nation. And if we are not vigilant, it will happen again in 2018. It will sure happen again in 2020. Now, whether you'd call that a cold war or a hot war in cyberspace, I don't know. But we are in conflict on many levels with the Russian government. Um, Okay, and before we get to the last one, did you guys hear that? He said, well, you know what they did in 2016, blah, blah, blah. Now, if it'll happen in 2018 and 2020, Comey, it's 2019. Was this pre-recorded in the fall of 2018? Are there non-disclosure agreements with those students? Because it doesn't seem right that he would sit there and talk about 2018 elections as if they're in the future, if they've already happened and it's 2019. So there's two things that are happening here. One, more fake news, and this is pre-recorded and done. Or two, he's losing his mind because it's 2019, yet he said 2018. Listen to it again. Hold on. Let me just rewind it just a couple. War. That's a great question. And I don't know whether I'd characterize it that way. We are certainly in, uh, on many levels, conflict with Russia. What they did during the 2016 election was an attack by an adversary nation. And if we are not vigilant, it will happen again in 2018. It will sure happen again in 2020. And whether you'd call that a cold war or a hot war in cyberspace, I don't know. But we are in conflict on many levels with the Russian government. Did you hear that? Um, Did you hear that? You, uh, he said, ta- will it happen in 2018 and, and definitely like 2020? He's talking about the 2018 elections like they're going to happen in the future. So the question is, was this pre-recorded in the fall or did he slip up and forget that it's uh, that we're almost six months into 2019 and we're seven months past the 2018 elections? That is food for thought. See, people don't really pay attention to conversations. But this is the last portion of this. There is a portion in here where he says that the president never laughed, that he has no humor, right? Um, I was going to play that clip, but we've got so much to talk about today on Biden and China and Iran that I want to wrap this up. 
but he did say that he had no humor and no laugh. Yet, you know, Rosenstein wrote, I'd love the way that you approach things with humor, which again indicates to me, okay, first of all, the president is humorous. He's always been fun and lighthearted. Anytime I've crossed paths with him, he's laughing, he's funny, you know, he's got puns. So that was really weird. Um, he tried to analyze him, psychoanalyze him like he's crazy. Anyway, Anderson Cooper puts out a question, and here's an entrapping question, because remember, he was already asked by a student in regards to these notes. But here's where he reveals to you that he's already been to the grand jury. And if this indeed was taped in the fall, which I would say is possible because I noticed that the people in the audience, one guy that asked the question was wearing a heavy wool tweed jacket. Now, he's not in North Dakota. He's in Virginia. And the weather there doesn't call for that. And everyone is in winter clothing. Uh, and it's supposedly May. Talked about uh, the memos. I'm sorry to go back to this. Um, and you talked about this team of attorneys you had hired. Fitzgerald was one of them at the time. Correct. Right? Did you consult your attorneys, including Fitzgerald, at the time about whether it was legal, appropriate to give a memo to, uh, to uh, your friend Richmond, uh, who then, and tell him to tell the New York Times what was in it? Yeah, I'm not going to talk about anything I talked about with my legal team. You're lawyering up? I guess in a way I am. Yeah, yeah. And I should have said this to you before, Anderson, because the facts matter here. Okay, we don't care about his facts, okay? We know what his facts are like. So bottom line is he's lawyering up. He kind of made it clear. I can't talk to you about the stuff that I talked about with my people. Now, before we head into the next portion, I just want to play a little bit of a song for you guys to get pepped up for what's to come now. Don't let me go. Who cares what they see? Who cares what they know? Your first name is free. what we're going to be talking about because we're going to play a clip where we have David Horowitz explaining to you the plan to destroy America. And he's referring to Christian America. And you guys know I'm a history buff. And what I, um, what I will say before I play this is history repeats itself all the time and it should be a lesson for us kind of like all the mistakes we have all the wounds we have are supposed to be battle scars of what wrongs we have done what erroneous actions we have taken and you know you learn from them and it seems that we have not learned uh you you all know that i'm a big tv movie person right i totally love my shows people make fun of me on that i'm totally fine i own it uh one thing that i do like uh, to watch is on uh stars and and uh there's like a segment about the kingdoms of you know europe so it was like the white princess white queen and now it's the spanish princess and in the spanish princess in the first five minutes, the statement is, and when Spain liberated us from the Islamic thousands of years rule, I say this 
because you're going to see where I'm going with it. Now take a listen. This is a small five minute clip, but it explains to you how a war has been waged on America and how the left is a cult. Few people today realize how much the United States is a creation of Christians. The uh, 98% of the settlers to this country were Protestant Christians fleeing persecution. They created the country, and they created it on Christian principles, actually Protestant Christian principles. Every value that we hold dear, equality, inclusion, freedom, are Christian values. Before the Protestant Reformation, you couldn't get to heaven except by going through the Catholic Church. And the revolutionary idea that the Protestant Reformation came up with was called the priesthood of all believers. So there's no priest class between you and the Creator. That was a fundamental Protestant idea. When you think about it for a second, if everybody is a priest, everybody is equal. And it's this idea that led to the freeing of the slaves, to the equality of women, to all the great advances in our culture. In America, for the last 50 years, there's been a dedicated war against Christianity and against believers by the so-called progressive left. In my lifetime, there's never been a darker hour for America. When I left the radical movement, when I saw that radicalism was a destructive and evil movement, I began to re-examine the foundations of this country. And the first thing that occurred to me was that you can't have inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness unless there's a God or unless you have respect for people who believe in God. Atheists could not have created this country. It kind of began in... Pretty big words from a Jew, right? Keep in mind, atheists could not have created this country. And they cannot. Because I've said it again and again the reason some nations are prosperous and remain standing tall through the, through the tests of time, through the Islamic enslavement of Europe, was because of church, because of belief, and because they answer to a higher calling. I've said this many times, and this is why I said, when it comes to who can be our ally, and I know it sounds really off, oh my gosh, you must be a Russian agent, Russia answers to a higher power. So I do not fear their moral compass because they could never take the direction of atheists. And remember, when the USSR was there, they had pretty much diminished the church. That's the only way you can succeed to have a socialist or a communistic government. In 1962, with the Supreme Court decision to remove prayer from the schools, for 170 years there had been prayer in the schools. But suddenly, without any precedent, the Supreme Court, actually only six justices, decided that that was unconstitutional. As a consequence, any child going to a public school cannot be taught. It can't be mentioned that the pilgrims were actually religious Christians fleeing persecution. We have been stripped of our roots, and that's why you see powerful movements today to suppress free speech coming from the left, our racism from the left, dividing our country into categories of skin color and gender and sexual orientation, the very opposite of what the Christian founders of this country believed in. What Before he continues, I just wanted to say, real Christians are people that actually answer to a higher God. 
a God of love that does not believe in war, a God of, of acceptance, of seeing every person next to you, no matter what color or creed, as an equal, as a child of God, cannot create categories, cannot separate people. And the conditioning that they have given to us for almost a hundred years now, that religion is in some way a poison, that religion is discriminatory. Yeah, okay. People believe in man and woman, and that's a biological thing. That's how you reproduce. Okay, fair enough. But who you choose to love isn't frowned upon by God. Any Christian that tells you that is, is wrong. You cannot judge your fellow man, and those Christians that do are not real Christians. I hear people saying, well, you know, they don't believe in, in gays getting married. Well, not in the church of God they don't because they believe that that is sanction, whatever. I'm okay with it. I'm not going to judge. If anyone is to judge, it's God. How dare you judge the person next to you? You know, you sit there. I have friends that that do things I don't agree with, but I still love them. Not because of what they do, but because they're, they're them. All they're good and they're bad. That's what we're supposed to do. Yet our country has conditioned us to believe. Our atheist-based country has conditioned us to believe that we are separated, that we have to fall into categories, and that there are minorities, and that Christianity is a disease, and we are having an attack on Christianity, as you see. One of the things that I explained in the book is how the left, the so-called progressive liberal left, is really a religion. It's a religious cult. Actually, it's an old Christian heresy, the left is, named after Pelagius, a Christian monk who lived in the 4th century. And Pelagius believed that sin was against human nature. And therefore, if Christians would just be good Christians, if they would just follow their true nature as human beings, they could create the kingdom of heaven on earth without a divine intervention. Pelagius' antagonist was St. Augustine, who believed in original sin, that sin is part of our nature. It's not against our nature. It's the sin of pride that every leftist has inside them and the belief that they can create a new world where there's social justice, peace, and there's paradise on earth. It's about perfection. So just as Pelagius believed that if you were true to your nature, you would be a good Christian because sin was against nature, modern progressives believe that if you are politically correct or if the government can force you to be politically correct, you can create paradise on earth. This is the most dangerous and destructive idea in the history of the human race. It's the idea that we confront today. And it's why I call this book The War to Destroy Christian America. The most important freedom we have, it actually begins with religious liberty, is freedom of conscience. If they delegitimize your conscience and silence you so that you can't speak, you can't defend any of your freedoms. The whole basis of our freedoms as Americans is, first of all, this religious liberty, the liberty of conscience. There's no more important fight than defending the freedom of people to disagree with you. The left is at war 
with people who disagree with them. The left has declared war on Christianity, and the Christians are on the front line. And it's a very, very dangerous moment in our political history. Just so you guys understand, the war against your mind in these states, the war that they have against Christianity is not just Christianity, it's Judaism, and it's Islam too. Keep that in mind. They have weaponized that religion, and that religion has been weaponized before. Islam reigned through Europe between the 700s and uh, 1492. That's when Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Did you know that kingdoms started to align and marry off to each other? And if you watch The Spanish Princess, the first premiere episode, the first episode that premiered, and if you have TV on demand, I just urge you to watch it. It's actually quite nice. You'll see a lot of history in it. And they talked about Christopher Columbus. They talked about how they um, made themselves independent from uh, the Ottomans, the Islam uh, reign. It is... A really big deal. The reason that the Spanish princess was marrying the prince of England was to create a Christian alliance so that they can fight it. This is religious warfare. Religious warfare that took on a turn so hard in the 1400s that we were seeking new nations, new land to flee. This is why we ran from Europe. A more, um, it's, it's a, in a more skeptical view, one would say that the warfare uh, that was based on religious symbolism, uh, you know, had taken heed in Europe. And this is because in the early um, hundreds, like 700, 800, uh, that is when the Catholic Church came to be. Uh, specifically that they created a Pope and a holy man. Uh, the Pope is supposedly without any sin. He can't sin. He's super holy. He's like God on earth. Whereas the historical Christians said, no, that's not right. Priests should be able to marry. They should be able to sin because to be human, you sin. And it is through sin that you learn what is good. That is how you learn. You cannot learn if you are spoon fed. You cannot learn if you don't make mistakes or see someone else do it. I mean, I'm not saying that everyone should put their finger in a socket, but I'm sure there's video out there to show you that if you stick it there, you will have problems. But that's the point. That they weaponized religion and that allowed for the Turks, as they called them, the Ottomans, the fanatic Muslims to come in and again they're weaponizing that religion this is why it was created then this is why Muhammad came to be so they can weaponize weaponize the religion this is why this religion changed and became aggressive and then there was Sharia law and it wasn't of love it was of love just to the God and not to the people next to you your brother is not your brother if he does not follow God whereas other religions are like everyone is supposed to be your brother even if they don't believe in God so 
You have to understand that religious wars back then, uh, we call them crusades. Uh, they wanted to go down there and conquer the Holy Lands. You know, everyone wanted to get down there and do what's best for their God. But we have to understand that it all comes down to religion. Why? Because religion gives you the ability to think outside the box. You believe in God and you've never seen him. You believe in miracles, even though one has never happened to you. You believe that things will work out because that is what you believe. And censorship disallows you from thinking so censorship and political correctness teach you that you cannot say things you feel you cannot do things you wish to do because it's not correct our law is more your god is nothing there is no god we are god and i can tell you what as someone who is a scientist i remember the first surgery i sat into it was a gi surgery guys first one and I remember all I did was watch and I was a more mature student cause I was in like, you know, my late twenties. Um, actually I was 30 <laughs> on the dot and you know, the attending was like, Hey, come over here and hold the section. So as I went in there and they had whatever, um, apparatus at the time that they had in the abdominal cavity, I, I saw I I was like right on top of just this person's intestines and I know it's going to sound creepy, totally own it. And I literally stuck my finger just a bit to be engulfed in the intestines. And you're going to say, whoa, that's super creepy. But you know what I felt? Life. And I thought, wow. So I know the intestine has its own brain. It has its own, uh, neuronal secondary structure, kind of like its own independent brain. Literally it does. And feeling it move, feeling the warmth of it. I thought this can't just be an accident, right? That's, that's, that's the thought that came to my mind. And I remember the attending looking at me and he's like, you're supposed to put the suction there, not your finger. And I was like, oh yes, my bad. I was more in awe of being in the moment and understanding just how humbling, how all of us are there to help this person on the table and seeing this amazing machine, the human body just exist and know that right in front of me, even though I see an intestine, it's literally millions of cells working together that are communicating with chemicals. I cannot see that have receptors that no one can, can, can see with their eye. And they're all magically working together. And they're all different cells, blood cells, intestinal wall cells, columnal size, squamous, you name it, all of them are working together in harmony and they communicate all together. You know, when I see a human being, people are like, whoa, you know, it's solid. It's not. We're just a clump of cells. And actually we have 99.9% bacteria. So external organisms actually sit on our external, the largest organ of our body, our skin. And they all talk to each other. When you eat food, you have bacteria in your gut to break it down. And they all talk to each other to help each other break that food down. I mean, it's just incredible and to, for anyone to say that this was all an accident and all these cells came together and started working and learned how to talk and create millions upon millions of cascades of communication. I, it's just, I can't fathom that.
And so even when working with PNA and DNA and having gone to Craig Ventner's laboratory where this man is trying to create fuel from bacteria, he is literally rewriting the genetic code of a certain bacterium that causes UTIs, basically. And he chose that bacteria because it has a mucosal wall and it is the most simplest form of uh, DNA structure there is. So he has removed genes, he has added genes, and yet in a controlled environment, he can probably create fuel. But the minute he brings it out to nature, suddenly all those genes he's knocked out come back. And this guy, Craig Ventner, dropout from high school, but he was one of the two people that worked for the government that decoded the human genome, a dropout, a guy that everyone thought was a loser, decoded it. Now he's trying to reinvent how we make fuel by training bacteria to do it themselves, but can't because there's something there that we don't see that you can remove genetics and everything. And what was intended by God to exist will still exist. And the virulence of it being a UTI, (laughs) you know, the microbacterium genitalium will still have its virulence, even though you've removed the genes and that is something fascinating and they don't want you to know that your mere existence is a miracle the fact that all our cells work together and make us feel like we're solid and they're talking constantly your brain cells the way they fire how the exchange of communication is done it's just incredible and that is what they're killing the ability for you to believe that there is no one higher than you There is no higher calling. It's just people. So thus, you must succumb to what your leaders say. Because if you can create a leader that gives you, I would say, notion of existence, explains to you why you exist and guides you, then why do you need God? And this is why they're removing, and this is why we have this attack on Christianity. Now, I kind of ran over on this. Because I think it was very important that we put it out there. I'll touch base on Biden. We'll get into with China. See y'all in a few. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr. and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate... Go to www.mikeflindefensefund.org. Thank you and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2978 855-700-2978 855 700 2978. That's 855 700 2978. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. 
If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's one 800 961-9194 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com Welcome back, everyone, for the last half hour of the Tory Says Show. So in in the last half hour, I was discussing of what wars they're waging against us. And a good friend of mine sent me a message um, through a discussion and re-listening to one of my shows that I upload as a podcast. Remember, you can always subscribe to them on iTunes, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, whatever. I upload them on SoundCloud. You can find it on redstatetalkradio.com backslash Tory or on torysays.com. So he said, lawyers and politicians are formulating bills to manipulate the masses. Middle America, the working class, and they want to believe that the ones that we in middle America and the working class have elected have their best interest in mind. And this is why Donald Trump won because he understands what's going on. We have to work to have a life while the politicians are sitting on their thrones, working to manipulate us so that they have a life. And unfortunately off of us, I'm tired of this. I agree. They sit on these thrones and they talk to us as if they know best. They're talking about Donald Trump's tax returns when he was a private citizen, but nobody questions how they've made millions entering office, how congresspersons, how senators suddenly come in with zero and come out with millions upon millions with stock portfolios that would make Mark Cuban kind of be like, huh? Or Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank. I love him, by the way. What's he called? Mr. Wonderful. I totally love him. He's Canadian. So the point of the matter is, is that they are now manipulating us on how to think, how to speak. They're censoring us actively. We've discussed this many times. But they're also very adamant about their double standard. See, they were investigating the Trump campaign supposedly because they thought that they had information that Russia was paying advertising. Remember, they're creating a law just to punish Russia um, and that he, maybe President Trump was getting kickbacks. This is why they went forward with the emoluments clause, all this stuff while he was running for president. 
right? And then after he was running for president. Well, we have Joe Biden, who his son was kicked out of the Navy from liking too much nose candy, who has gotten millions of dollars from a Russian slash Ukrainian person, yet he's campaigning and no one is looking into Biden. There's no counterintelligence there to see anyone in Biden because if you remember correctly, they were spying on Donald Trump Jr. That is President Trump's son, where they had wiretap Manafort's phone while they were sitting in the room. That is how they got the tap order from A.G. Lynch on that day. So as they're sitting there, his cell phone is turned on and they're listening. Obviously, it's a big nothing burger. This is why it never came up again with that Russian lawyer. So they investigated his son. They're investigating his children still until today. I mean, well, not anymore, right? Because the Mueller report said there was no collusion. And then the new charge, which was obstruction because he fired Comey. That was obstructing justice, supposedly. So we have them probing the children of candidate Trump. And now we have a a candidate for presidency, Biden, where we have evidence that his son has been working with Russians and Ukrainian and has gotten millions. And there's no, no, no FISA warrant, no counterintelligence investigation. Is that how it works? That's called a double standard. Very double standard. Now, the they've subpoenaed to see Donald Trump Jr. And they want to see Mueller as well. I'm telling you that I believe Mueller will not uh, go and testify because, you know, executive privilege and all says anything related to the Mueller report you don't have access to. It's done. There's a bar there. So I don't know how they're jumping that bar and getting Donald Trump Jr. to come again. What role does he play? Because he's part of the campaign. He's not actively part of the government. Questions have already been asked. Why are they doing this? Because they're in panic mode. Take a listen to what Pelosi says about Barr. My son was totally exonerated by. Sorry, I skipped that piece. Yeah, because it was rubbish. She was saying that Barr lied and whatever. And here's President Trump talking about his son being subpoenaed. Mueller, who frankly does not like Donald Trump, me, this Donald Trump. And frankly, for my son, after being exonerated, to now get a subpoena to go again and speak again after close to 20 hours of telling everybody that would listen about a nothing meeting. Yeah, I'm pretty surprised. How far are Democrats going to take this when it comes to Donald Trump? Well, if you don't mind me changing your question a little bit, how far are Republicans going to go? I mean, it's very interesting that a Senate Republican Mm -hmm. is the one, uh, uh, Burr, Richard Burr, he's the head of the Intel Committee in the Senate, which is still run by Republicans. He's the one that's that's putting out this subpoena. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of surprised the president didn't go after him. I mean, he's focused on Democrats, but... Why would you would you have a subpoena for Donald Trump Jr. based on Michael Cohen's testimony, which, well, as we all know, was riddled with lies? I'm saying Democrats because Democrats are now actually calling for jail time. Which well, that's true. I believe Some, Mueller already yeah. cleared that. 
Did he not? You mean you mean some Democrats are saying you're saying like the congressional jail, like many people in the congressional jail, which we don't even know if they exist anymore. Really, it might not exist. Senator Blumenthal said jail time. If he well, I I don't think they mean actual go down to the D.C. jail or federal prison. I think they mean there's a. I'm just telling you what he said. I don't think it's been used since the early 1930s. But the point is that you know what Congress has a legitimate right, has a constitutional function for oversight, and you can't just ignore subpoenas as the Nixon team learned and doing. You can't just ignore the Obama team did. Right. So you can't just treat them like they're a pest or say, oh, there's political motivation. Doesn't matter. Okay. So jail time, all this talk. Take a listen. Don Jr., that meeting was wiretapped. They already have the wiretap information. We know that Attorney General Lynch herself intervened to make sure that Russian lawyer gets the visa and comes here and the order to tap Manafort's phone during that meeting. So they have every single piece of word articulation sound that was that could be heard in that room. So why do they need him there again? We already know that it was a setup. We already know all these things. Why are they bringing him again? And, you know, they're like, oh, a Republican did it. And you're surprised. Haven't I been saying how long that Republicans are a problem just as the Democrats? The Democrats are just part of the cult. The Republicans are the ones that subscribe to it in secret. It's like those people that, you know, are closet, I don't know, people that like Vegemite, you know. Marmamite, whatever, Marmamite. Okay, that's an, a British thing. It's actually like yeast, and people put it on toast. It's totally disgusting. But you would never admit to someone that you like it. Like, you wouldn't really, I mean, some people do. Um, <clears throat> it's like an embarrassing thing. So, their membership to this cult is embarrassing to them. So, they don't really mention it. And, like I said, there's seven angry. Republicans, and we need to keep an eye on those rhinos. I've already mentioned one of them is Hoven. No matter what people are saying and how, oh, yeah, you know, I do. He is the dirtiest of them all. He's got pictures with every little one of those snake, and he lined his pocket with Libyan death money. So no one's going to say that's not him. Anyway, so closing that chapter and shifting gears, Biden may not make it as a candidate, Bernie may not make it as a candidate. Things will happen and they won't. Bernie will die. And I'm standing by that because of the eyebrow gash, very identical to that of McCain's. And it's a timestamp. And then we have Biden with all this garbage and rubbish running around him. And again, a friend of mine said, you know, you might be right about Yang. He's just going to come up in the ranks and he will. He's going to take it home in the end because a lot can happen between now and the summer and a lot can happen between between now and Christmas. And I guess after Labor Day, because that is when I expect that Huber will be coming out and rearing his head. Horowitz, hopefully end of May. But, you know, then it's going to cause us a little bit of problems with AG Barr, um, like I've said. So moving forward, China. I've been talking about China. I've been talking about trade. I've been talking about oil and Turkey and Iran. So Iran has started to show a little bit of tush. 
and started to get aggressive, and Turkey seems to be responding to them. So we're on readiness there. So we might even hear of some aggressive behavior. They have been warned, and Turkey is now on the sticks and um, talking with NATO allies saying, look, you can't be part of NATO if you're going to side with Iran. And I know that we want America to fail on this uh, sanction thing, but... um, you got to keep it tight. And Turkey's like, no, we go with Iran. Forget America. We are stronger. We are smarter. And the Europeans are like, yeah, we can't do that just yet. So that's going on there. Now China. So as you can see, a lot of these countries around the world have been funding China, have been dropping a lot of cash in China to tell them don't strike a deal with the United States. Let them be. We will fund you. We will support you so you can fight the United States. Well, they're still talking today, just so you know. They haven't left. But sanctions are in place. Not sanctions. Shoot. Tariffs are in place. I misspoke. So the tariffs are in place, which are making us a lot of money. And from that money, you know, people are like, oh, no, tariffs are farmers. That's fine. Instead of us sending money to countries that have no food, Instead of us sending, you know, I don't know, I'm just saying a country out of the blue like Ethiopia, you know, a billion dollars in cash, we're going to send them a billion dollars in soybeans. We'll buy them from our guys. Hey, you're producing. We've got surplus. We're going to buy it as the United States, and we're going to give it to these countries rather than just give them cash and spend it somewhere else because most of them purchase their stuff from where? China. So it's like these poor countries get U.S. aid from us, and then they go and buy food or pharmaceuticals from China. So instead of doing that, we get all this tariff money, and then we buy our own products and give it away as aid to these countries and say, hey, you don't have to buy soybeans, wheat, you don't have to buy milk, you don't have to buy beef, you don't have to buy carrots or whatever else you buy, not even from the European Union. You can get it from us. We'll just ship you a whole boat filled with soybeans, a whole boat filled with wheat and rice, whatever you want. We'll just send you the food. You don't even have to spend it. You don't have to negotiate for prices. We'll get that done for you. How much better is that? It's like having homeless people instead of giving them cash where then they go line somebody else's pockets that may not like you, right? You're just giving them the food straight away and you're like, here, you're hungry. Here's the food. You don't even have to go buy it. You don't have to be nice. You don't have to wash up. You don't have to have people look at you funny. Here's a nice fat steak. It's come from the United States of America. Beef that's grown in the, in the Dakota Plains. Take it. That is exactly what we're going to do. Because if we're making $250 billion on these tariffs, mm-hmm, and we're going to be spending that $10 billion we do in aid in America, we're literally paying our own people to give that aid and we still have money left over. Are you getting it? So see it this way. Let's pretend, let's make it a round number. Because of these tariffs, we just got $100 billion. Now, every month we send $10 billion in aid to all these countries somewhere on the planet. Let's just say, let's pick one country. Let's say, um, let's say we give it to country XYZ. I don't want to label one. So country XYZ gets $10 billion of money from us. So that way they can purchase pharmaceuticals. That way they can purchase food. That way they can purchase soybeans, wheat, carrots, strawberries, you know, water, whatever. 
and they take that 10 billion and then they buy it from China. So they're buying a billion dollars in soybeans from China. They're buying a billion dollars in carrots from China. They're buying a uh, billion dollars in um, in wheat from China, beef from China. So they're buying it from China because China's cheaper, right? Because China can be cheaper because they don't pay tariffs when they send stuff to the United States. Well, now if we just gave them the money and they went to China, they wouldn't be able to get it so cheap because their prices have to go up because now they have to pay tariffs when they send stuff to America. So now the prices in China have gone up. So these poor countries that get the, you know, the $10 billion from us every month so they can feed themselves, where they would spend a billion dollars on wheat and get a billion pounds of it, now they're spending a billion dollars in wheat and they're only going to get 75 pounds of it, right? Let's just say, 750 million pounds of it, okay? So they're getting a quarter less. Well, why should they do that? Why not us take that $10 billion every month Buy all the food from the United States, what China would have purchased, and then just give it to those countries. Because out of the 100 billion that we've just made on China, we've spent 10 billion, which is what our farmers would be getting, and gave the aid and still have 90 million left over. You get it? So why give it to China? We're giving money to someone else to buy off of China. When we could say, no, we'll just buy the product from our people and give it to you. And we're still going to be making bank from China because they're going to be paying tariffs. And like the president said, no more gone are the days where you go to Shark Tank and say, I made Scrub Daddy and I make it in the United States landed for 50 cents. And they're like, well, that's too expensive. Maybe you need to go to China because you could get it down to like 20 cents landed. That's not going to happen anymore. Now it's going to be cheaper to make products in America. There's no tariffs. If you're making your sponge daddies in China, you're going to be paying a tariff of 25% to bring it in here. So for every dollar of a product you have, you will be paying 25 cents on it. So it'll be a dollar 25. So the price of your product goes up to match that. So that's the deal. We've got China where we want. China can say whatever they want. They need us more than we need them. And it's not just China. China doesn't really need need us because the rest of the world relies on them. But they will need a trade deal with us because um, Europe and Australia, New Zealand, African countries, and even Russia are going to have really, really big problems purchasing products from China whose prices are going to go up because now they have to pay 25% on that $200 billion. And think about it. They only give us about $500 billion in business. I mean, that's how much we make off of them. And monthly, they bring in about $200 billion. I mean, it's pretty crazy, right? So now we're going to raise prices. We're forcing them to raise their prices so everybody can come to the table and say, okay, we can't piggyback off the United States anymore. We're screwed. We all need to figure out these new trade routes. That's exactly what has to happen. Because... Remember when President Trump said Germany's not paying their fair share for military spending? Exactly. They're being protected. They're expanding. They've got a great GDP, and that's because they're not paying. Because we're paying for them. We're paying. They're not. So here we are where 
all our manufacturing is not happening in the United States. It's happening in China. So we're giving them all this business and then they're manufacturing it there and bringing it here. And we're not charging them for bringing an outside good into our country. Yet every time we export something from the United States, either that be Oreo cookies, the price goes up exponentially. Try buying a box of Oreo cookies that are American Oreo cookies in France. Nope. Tariff. China tariff, but their stuff come here and there's no tariff. That's not fair. Is it? So people would buy their domestic products before they buy ours. Cause they're more expensive. Well, now people have to decide, do I buy made in America or do I buy made in China? And if I buy made in China and they want to be able to keep it lower on the price point, so they're competitive within the United States, that means the quality goes down. And here's another thing. Where are phones going to be made? 25% tariff on iPhones is pretty steep. So with Apple bringing iPhones in, darn, your iPhone price is going to be really high, really, really high. If there is no manufacturing within the United States, you can expect electronics to go sky high and people can complain all they want. You need to look at those companies and say, man, you need to bring it to the U S why are you giving jobs to the Chinese? We need jobs. I mean, we don't really cause unemployment rate is low, but the more jobs they create, the more immigrants we can bring in. And if it's with a point system, just like every other country has, we're going to get the best immigrants too. We're going to get people that want to work, that have skills, that want to contribute to our society and that agree that America is the beacon of hope, the beacon of freedom, and the melting pot that makes it work. Why? Because we will remain to our foundations, and like President said, under God, indivisible. Under God. We are not removing God. No matter who that God is for you, we are not removing them. But we will ensure that there is no religion's laws that can be applied to our nation. There are just a handful of states, actually, that passed laws that said Sharia law will never be implemented in our state. Why hasn't every single state done this? I'm ashamed that mine didn't. So ashamed that I'm like, you know what? I might run for my district, even though I don't really want to live in North Dakota anymore. I'm just really hoping my husband gets a transfer. I really miss the city life. Um, I love North Dakota, but I really miss the city life. And traveling every month is not enough. I mean, I'm a city rat. I like the country life. Mm, but, you know, I'm kind of a, yeah. I miss the buzz. I miss people. Uh, I miss people that are diverse. I miss people that are approachable, that can speak, because I think maybe um, I feel really isolated here. <laughs> people don't talk much here. I don't know. That's like the German thing, right? Norwegian, that's the culture, right? Isn't it? That's the way they are. I mean, I've lived in those countries, so I know what their culture is firsthand. <laughs> Wow, it's already Friday, and I am hoping that Comey's indictment will be announced. I'm really hoping. I mean, we've had some great stuff put out by the Justice Department. I mean, we had another Muslim woman who literally had a woman as a slave. Mm, You didn't hear the news talk about that, did you? Uh, Where, you know, they're pretty much going against... Every single cartel you can think of, they've been arresting like crazy. 
but we're not seeing things happen on our front like what we want. And we have to understand that this week has been a very extraordinary week. An extraordinary week in regards to our foreign policies. From the Arctic Council to the threat, elevated threat from Iran and Turkey, through the Chinese tariff wars, because remember, it's not just about China. The European Union and our so-called allies around the world are depending on us failing to come to a trade agreement with China. And they're hoping that the tariffs suffocate us. But you know what? The president found a way. Hey, instead of giving money, we will be distributing food to those that need it, and we will be buying it from our own people. That's how we deal with it. No more cash. We're going to be giving you the goods. And we're going to be buying the goods from our farmers. Our farmers that they keep saying we're not doing them right. Well, the guy down the road from me He may have five tons a week. Well, we're going to buy that and distribute it to a country that would have bought that somewhere else with our money because we offer them aid because they're poor. In the end, the $100 billion that we will be getting a month, that $10 billion in aid will be going back into the United States rather than distributed as cash for them to spend somewhere else. That is genius. We're buying our own stuff from our own people to give away rather than give away our own people's money so that they can spend it somewhere else. Why didn't anybody think of that before? Let me guess. Because they're not Donald Trump. And because they're not a man who had lost billions and made a comeback. Because he is not part of the deep state. He is not groomed, and this is why they don't like him. This week, like I said, moved really fast, and I was really hoping, I mean, I've really got a really nice caramel popcorn waiting for me to to eat with Comey being announced that he's indicted. And this town hall giving me a feeling that it was done in the fall with his slip-ups. I mean, that's a really big slip-up to say that it can happen in 2018 and will and may happen in 2020. Bodes creepy to me that that was pre-recorded and maybe Comey didn't hold that town hall yesterday. I don't know. We don't know. What we do know is, is that there's a lot going on and there's a lot of silence. What we do know is, is that we're making waves across the world and it seems like it's the whole world and our, our own government against us standing and trying to knock down President Trump. Why? Because he is the, in the way of them getting to you and I. I can't believe that my show is already over and we didn't have a Comey indictment. We had a solution for China. So remember, our farmers are taken care of because now instead of giving away money to countries so they can purchase food from somewhere else, we're going to be using that money to buy the food from here and send it to them. It's going to be cheaper and we have more money in our pocket. On that note, I wish everyone a great weekend. I hope it's happy, healthy, full of love, and I'll see you again on Monday. And I am hoping that Comey's indictment is announced today, or at least next week, because it's been busy. We've got war, tariffs. So I'll see you all next week on Monday. Have a fabulous weekend. Thanks for tuning in. 
same time, same place, Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 Eastern Time on Red Stake Talk Radio. Thank you.